Welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, a podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York Purchase. Together, they won the bronze medal for ice dancing at the 1987 Winter Olympics held in Nassau County, Long Island. Today, we'll be looking at an exciting new analysis of some old data from the late Epipaleolithic site of Tel Abu Huraira in Syria. Data that suggests a comet broke up in the Earth's atmosphere around 12,800 years ago. Let's make that clear. Destroying this huge village of hunter-gatherers and helping to usher in more than a thousand years of cooler, drier weather that pushed humans towards agriculture. This interpretation is poised to completely overturn our understanding of climate change, agriculture, and the role of giant deadly space snowballs in human history. Let's go to the lightning round. Rachel, do you worry about comments? Well, I hadn't been, but now I am. That is the correct answer. <laughs> exactly. I hadn't either, but now, actually, I'm not worried. Now I'm kind of like, is there any way we can entice a comet? Right. <laughs> Take the edge off a little bit of this Faster, heat. please. Yeah. And the other good news is that some of these people who were wiped out by the comet actually survived and moved back into their village, right? Well, that's the most amazing thing to me. <laughs> yeah. So the, so the evidence, and we should, you know, make this clear for our, our audience. Um, I think we have 669,000 subscribers now. Um, <laughs> we should make clear that, that the evidence suggests that a comet broke up into hundreds, if not thousands, of fragments in the Earth's atmosphere at around 12,800 years ago, striking different parts of the Earth, including this somewhat unlucky village of Tel Abu Herrera, which had like five or 6,000 occupants. Um, and they had a particularly bad day because their village was instantly heated to somewhere around 2,600 degrees centigrade. And yeah, then- and Let me just interrupt you because this, this whole thing, this is the one conversion that I've never mastered, the centigrade Fahrenheit. It means nothing to me. <laughs> they're just, they're too big. We're talking about 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, these people, the fact that they returned after being splintered apart by little nano diamonds <laughs> heated to 4,000 degrees, uh, these people were tough. How was your day, honey? Well, it was fine, except for the comet. <laughs> and being pulverized at 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, we have to imagine that some of them were way far away from home, and they were hunting their gazelle, and they were just, they were, you know, in a luckier spot where the, the things weren't coming down directly on their heads. And then they went home, and there was no home left. 
kind of like that scene at the beginning of Star Wars when he comes home and then the house has been exploded. <laughs> and Baru is lying there? Yeah. <laughs> that's the scene. That's nice. I think that really captures the flavor of this whole experience. <laughs> I don't think Aunt Baru was cooked at 4,000 degrees, though. <laughs> well... The other, amazing, the other amazing thing about this is that the site was excavated in the very early 1970s. And they just thought at that time, oh, you know, Mrs. O'Leary's cow cooked, kicked the lantern over and oh, the, the, the site burned down. But then 50 years later, some guy comes along and said, did you save dirt from the site? And they looked at it with their, you know, super tricorders and, and there's like, Iridium and platinum and nano diamonds, and because of course they saved dirt. You forgot to say that. Obviously, they saved the dirt, or they just forgot about it. They put the dirt away, and somebody said, "Do you have any dirt?" And they started scurrying around. And they go, "Oh, oh, why, why, yes, we do." <laughs> Wait, in the garage. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of these examples of how another of these examples about how old excavations and old samples from old excavations can yield new results and not just new results, but fantastically new results by looking at it with big scientific goggles that right. uh, nobody even thought about back right. then. Right, and, and for, for me, the, big, the most interesting thing <coughs> is that now, Andrew Moore, the excavator of Abu Herrera and his team, now they're suggesting that it's this event. And they, they weren't the first to suggest. I guess this has sort of been floating around undercover for a, few for, years, yeah. for a couple of years, that this event is what leads to agriculture. Right. And, and this is a really interesting, I think, kind of historiographic issue because the excavation at Abu Herrera and the whole question of the search for the origins and process of plant animal domestication was sort of at the heart of processual archeology, span what used to be called the new archeology. span Nobody cares about processual archeology. span No one cares about any of these trends in archeology span anymore, which is a whole other, you know, sort of comment on, on where we are, but that's neither here nor there. What's interesting is for decades, we all learned that it was a long-term process in which, you know, in which, in which these, these epipaleolithic hunter-gatherers were, you know, undergoing complex strategies to, to collect. And, and they were collecting and adapting and pre-adapting plants and animals. And it was thousands of years. And, and ultimately, you ended up with a site like Abu Herrera, which went from, from hunting and gathering to, to incipient agriculture to full-blown agriculture. And now the whole processual legacy is at risk because now it's like, oh, we got hit by a comet and the, the entire environment literally changed overnight, right? There's 10% of the world of the global forest is up in fire. Right? You can't see anything. They're stumbling around. And when things start to clear, there's no megafauna, right? The whole and there's 1,400 years where it's back to the glacial conditions. And everybody's putting, pulling on one sweater after another and another sweater and T-shirts, 
That's what confused me at the beginning. So you got the end of your ice age, um, and we like like you were just saying, it ends slowly, and you have all these models, right? So first you have like like the Oasis hypothesis, and then Binford's model, and Braidwood's model, all those different models, all of which are slightly different, but all of which have sort of long-term uh, change and stages within them. And that was, and, and what, what was confusing to me when I first read this was, okay, because the ice age is over now, things are warming up and people are able to go and farm now and figure it out and domesticate. But now it turns out that there's this short, immediate cold spell. And so they're not farming because it's getting warmer, they're farming because it's getting colder again, which is counterintuitive. And I have a little problem about that. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure being cooked at 4,000 degrees was a much much bigger problem. Right. And, yeah, and but now this is hard. Is it? Go ahead. I was just going to say now it's going to allow prehistorians who work on plant and animal domestication a whole new vista to to restate everything they've stated before in slightly different terms based on the fact that we've had a a cosmological event, a one-time cosmological event happened. And, and one of the outcomes that I'm looking forward to is that clearly this will be an incredible documentary done by Werner Herzog. I mean, I think we can all rest assured that Werner Herzog is going to recreate this dramatic event in a way that no other auteur could ever do it. So I'm very happy about that. And I think it'll be a very nice sort of part two to whatever that, you know, Cave of the clan <laughs> bears. Clan of the cave bear. No, cave of the clan bear. No, we're horrible. Some cave movie. Well, okay. I don't know. But yet, with the uh, with the with the Paleolithic uh, cave art, right? Uh, that he did. Um, so I think we have that to look forward to. But yeah, it is counterintuitive, except for the fact that. In one fell swoop, they lose their megafauna. So the blue plate special is over. Right. right. So right. that's done. Right. And in another fell swoop, there are no more trees. And trees, of course, are the enemies of grasses, right? Trees and grass compete. And these are people who are now going to privilege tree grasses because there are no trees. Right. So that's going to allow for the spread of big steppic environments which are going to be the ultimate heartlands for all of these cereal grains. And right. it, should, it should be stressed that this is a, this is a global phenomenon. Right. right. It's, it's a planetary phenomenon. It's a how often do we get to use that planetary word? Well, we're, because, we, can use, we can use it a lot now. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's our, that's, our, that's our conceit. They were using it back then in their own, in their own modest kind of way <clears throat> because and I think, you know, the, the people at Abu Kurero who, who came home from hunting and gathering and it's like, didn't we have a village here? <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, I told you, make a left <laughs> at that tuft of, of wild elderberries. You're not asking for directions, are you? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Typical I man. I know where we're going. Do not ask that person. <laughs> but but in, in, in North America, the impact was... Oh, you know, all these gigantic ice shields suddenly, you know, that all the ice dams like on your gutters that were holding back all the sites started to burst and glaciers went away and, you know, 60 gazillion cubic kilometers of water 
flooded into the Atlantic and shut down the planet's climate. So um, you're saying that the memory. comet's explosion caused the glaciers to melt as opposed to the general global warming that ended the last ice age. Yeah, it's happening in North America also. Right. It's happening in, of all places, South Carolina. I mean, this is like a great, these are going to be great trivia questions. You know, what, <laughs> what happened in Syria and South Carolina that <laughs> explains the rise of plant and animal domestication? And, and the other thing is, why haven't they named this comet? Doesn't this comet deserve a name? Did I miss that? There's, why isn't it there a well, name? It, that's, that's true. Uh, I mean, the phenomenon of the, the cooling phenomenon that resulted is the Younger Dryas. Right. The younger Dryas is a period. I looked right. this up yesterday. But the comet itself deserves, deserves a name. Right. We really need a shout out. But I had to look up the details of the name Younger Dryas because apparently there's an older Dryas also. Right. And Dryas means flower. I mean, it's a type of flower, which they either found or they didn't find either before or after the event. And we, have, and we have this phenomenon of the Younger Dryas boundary layer, right? which combines four words that probably never were <laughs> in the first place, but here we have it. <laughs> what is Younger Dryas boundary layer for 500 feet? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> yeah, but I like the fact that they had to look really, really, really closely at at all of this dirt to look at the for the nano diamonds. Right, the nano diamonds. I mean, I would like a nano diamond. I, I, like, I would like a lot of nano diamonds. <laughs> if you love her, give her nano diamonds. <laughs> yeah, give her a whole bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, and what what else? Iridium, platinum, glass. Cobalt. I didn't know that comets were filled with platinum. Yeah, this is why uh, you know, this is why you have Mars and Earth and the and the and the outers, whatever they're called, in uh, in that science fiction show, who are working the comets, they're working the comets for water, they're working the comets for for minerals, because these comets are filled with all sorts of things. Which show? Oh, I don't even remember. I can't remember. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll get back to that. All right, if, there, if any listeners know the answer to this, you know, call now. It's 1-800-555-1177. That's our number. <laughs> <laughs> Operators are standing by. But, uh, but I like this idea that, you know, new methodologies uh, look at old samples and drive radically new results. And it's more of this... You know, sort of sitting out in plain sight in a way. Right. You know, right. Andrew Moore had all this dirt in his garage. <laughs> and, <laughs> or somewhere. You know, someplace scientific, probably. Yeah, no, this is pretty phenomenal. And, and it's, it's phenomenal for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is, you know, these things from space are becoming concerns. You know, we've got we've got all sorts of things in space now. We've got this this planetary this planetary thing going on. The Oumuamua. You know, you read about. Oh this? yeah, the big cigar. About this? Yeah. Right. So we're being visited by by uh, by cosmic uh, entities, and now we have this comet that's completely changed in a radical way Earth history. Um, I'm and all those declassified uh, UFO videos. We're just, Navy. we're waiting. 
We're yeah. I think all this is very, very positive. Everybody's so worried about global warming. All we need is a huge disaster to stop the global warming. Us into, into I felt the same way. I feel the same way <laughs> about 1200 BC, 1177, 1200, that, you know, whatever environmental impact changed everything and made all these civilizations collapse all around the same time. Nothing um, collapsed. Led to, led to a much more glorious future for them. That's, um, what, that's what collapse is. It's just, it's just the night before a better tomorrow. It's just an opportunity for, for other people. Nothing collapsed. This no? Is, no. What about collapsed. the Cassites? They collapsed. Political group, political entities collapsed. Political structures collapsed. Yeah. Else collapsed. All at the same time. Well, a comet hit your house. Yeah, really. Well, then it wasn't a comet. Then, but it was, then it was just. You need to take a moment, and you know, I like the idea that that this actually has a date. Mm. That that if we could drill down, and I read something else. These these other guys last month published a a, a piece, kind of looking at speleothems and other you know geological proxy data. Right. And they came up with 12,870 plus or minus 30. Mm. So they're really, yeah. they're really drilling down to the, to the date when all of this went down. And I, right. think, that's, I think that's very cool because, <clears throat> you know, when we, when we went to school, shortly after the events that, were, <laughs> that we're now discussing, um, it was like, yeah, everything. Then the climate changed. And it got colder, but then it got warmer. And, you know, it was warmer here, but colder there. And it was this long process. And nobody could really understand why. And, oh, you know, circulation of the oceans and the atmosphere and this and that. But nobody understood why. Nobody understands any of this stuff. Oh, yeah, except for the comet, which released <laughs> this giant rush of ice cubes into the Atlantic Ocean. Right. I like yes, the no, the precision is very good. And the precision also gives us deep, is going to ultimately give us deep insight into how fast or slow all of these processes happen, plant and animal domestication for starters. Um, you know, the, the number of generations, the speed and, and things like that. Because now we sort of have a year zero for the Middle East at least. Right. Where, where you know, the landscape is been completely, you know, eviscerated and there's nothing there. And now everyone sort of has to put Humpty Dumpty back together again without the megafauna that they, that they loved so much. Um, right, but people came back to tell Abu Huraira shortly thereafter, <clears throat> dusted the place off and started building. And at, at Murabit, which is not too far away. Not at all, they have, but, which has a very different sequence than Abu Huraira. If I but remember. it's pretty much continuous, sort right. of. It is. And, but I think Murabit always was dependent on incipient plant and animal domestication or domesticated plants and animals, whereas Abu Herrera was the only site that had sort of the before picture. Right, and Abu Herrera was super, super large too. Right, right. You know. What about this whole idea of putting, of putting the final nail into the coffin of processualism that we all grew up on? Oh, I like that. I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we've all been waiting for that final nail. I guess. <clears throat> sort of the just-so stories of, uh, of archaeology. 
No. What we all suffered through in graduate school is no longer, there's no longer a need to make others suffer through it. Can we take a five minute Oh, yeah. This? Cake break? Yeah. You know what I can do? I can pause the recording. Oh, very good. Thanks very much for waiting. We're back. Exactly the death of processual archaeology because there are sites like Ovalo, which, you know, put everything back into deep into the Epipaleolithic in terms of, you know, sort of modifying and pre-adapting and all of these kinds of things. So it's not completely the death of processual archaeology, but it is going to really, you know, create a whole new way of thinking about change. Right. But if, if anything... If anything, we'll put the concept of human agency back into conceptualizations of the past. It's excavating a community that was, um, <laughs> that was suddenly raised to 4,000 degrees and then cooled back <laughs> really to like that idea. in like four seconds. Yeah. And pulverized. So didn't, think, didn't the ground stay hot? I would think, awesome. yeah. I mean... That's the one part that really, that they just, that people returned. Like it must have been not immediate, right? It must have been a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Um, yeah, not right you, away. Can walk, you, know, you can walk across coals that are pretty hot. Well, that's well, true. Maybe this is the origination of all of that, that Neolithic dance stuff that uh, <laughs> we heard about in, uh, in Yossi Garfinkel's book. Maybe this is when they first Everybody just Not bad. Dancing around, waiting for it to cool the, the site to cool off, or they're they're walking on the site there. Yeah, exactly. I think it was serendipitous. They're walking, mm. and somebody was you know making little little drawings and doodles. So yeah, so one 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 point is what we need now is some cave in Europe to have a painting of comets, of glass, of 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 diamonds raining down on them, and people running away. So that would be. A, a help in terms of dating all these caves. And it would also be a help in confirming the comet. We might be able to get a name of the comet out of that, you know, the comet of the people fleeing or something. Um, and then, but two comes back to my other problem. For, uh, the best name. What? We should have a contest for the, for the best name. Yeah, we, we definitely need a contest. Um, two is how do you, this comes back to domestication, um, you, how do you start farming when it's cold out or colder out? I mean, was it too hot? Were you burning, was the hot sun gonna be burning your crops up uh, prior to the comet um, and now it's just right? Is there a difference in rainfall up there in the, in the hilly flanks of various mountains post-comet? I don't know the answers. We do know that it, we do know that they were farming. So we, we can just start with that. And they, they obviously could, and they obviously made whatever kinds of modifications that they needed to very because quickly. Here in the Northeast, you know, everything I tried to grow this summer didn't really work out so well. <laughs> so. It was a good year for raspberries though. But it was really hard to grow broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> Broccoli is like a, an advanced sort of, sort of crop. I should have tried wheat and I really should have tried barley. Well, what would you have done with that? <laughs> Made would you bread. Have, have 
you know, broken out the mono and matate and started grinding wildly. Well, and, I, I really I like to see that actually. And then, and then the bread would have had all these little bits of basalt in it and would have, you know, ground our teeth down. Right. Not, right. Exactly. I think that, I think that literally is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's what agriculture is. It's a recipe for disaster. It is. Basically. That's right. That should be, why didn't someone title a book with that title? That's a great title. I mean, that would have been much better than Guns, Germs, and Steel. Jared right. Well, we're going to write it then. Agriculture, a recipe for disaster. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. or, yeah, I mean, there's, there's innumerable plays on that. Yes. Well, the nanodiamonds, how small is a nanodiamond? I don't know. They're, they must be so teeny tiny. Yeah. Or else, or else people would have been, you know, surface mining in the area of Abu Herrera <laughs> you know, for thousands of years. Right. That's I true. think they're like angstrom sized, you know. Pretty, yeah. uh, you've got nanodiamonds on the soles of your shoes. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting to use that one. You don't even know it. Yeah, exactly. And I also like the, the particles of glass because, you know, it wasn't until, what, 2000 that they were making glass intentionally. That's um, right. And I guess these particles were so small that nobody got inspired to figure out how to make glass. Nobody got inspired. Andrew Moore excavated the whole site and had no idea that these he things He didn't know were any of it was there. Right. So I think yeah. for, for, you know, Neolithic people, they didn't stand a chance. It right. is interesting that, okay, I'll throw this into the, into the hopper. So, so we've, you know, there's always been this thing about the, the, the flood and, you know, maybe it had something to do with the, with the Black Sea, the creation of the Black Sea, which was, which was later than this. But my God, would that have been perfect if, if, this, yeah. if this, you know, melting of the glaciers, you know, was contemporaneous with the, with the, with the creation of the Black Sea and the, and the, creation of a, of a sort of trans Near Eastern mythology of the flood. But th it's interesting that this comet incident, this, this comet episode, never became part of the greater consciousness mm. in terms of myth or anything else. And you would think <laughs> that if you looked up one day and what are they? What were those things called that they, that they talk about? Oh, there's a great term. Some sort of a cloud. Yeah, what was that term? I'm looking. That happened in the where we need a, a professor of symbology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Right. So whatever they, you know, whatever these things that they saw in the sky. Streaking across the sky. Right. That, Fragments that, from, from, ranging from like 10 meters to a kilometer wide. Right. You would have thought that that would have been passed down. In, in the collective serious, unconscious. Yeah, right. in a serious way. Because that, I mean, obviously it's a one-time event. It never happened again, as far as we know. And there's never been any kind of environmental evidence to suggest that kind of a huge one-off trans-global environmental well, change. Except yeah. for except for the, the big the big kahuna at the the Cretaceous tertiary boundary. No, but that happened much earlier. I'm saying, right. I'm saying since... It's like hundreds of years earlier. <laughs> since the younger Dryer boundary layer. And, <laughs> since, that's true. 66 yeah. million years ago, okay. Yeah. So, uh, but, 
No, but but I think you're you're onto something here because so so there's the Black Sea memory, but there's also the I think of it as a separate theory, the melting of the glaciers, the memory of the melting of the glaciers. So maybe this actually got um, mixed with that. Like I'll go out on a limb here and say that the, they're remembering the waters coming from the melting of the glaciers, but they're remembering the flood and the rain. Maybe it's the rain um, that they're remembering in terms of the destruction, the rain of the particles of the glacier, uh, of the comet coming down. I guess. I guess I just think that anything that happened in the in the heavens in the astral emptiness above, I I would have thought something that cataclysmic. It would have been nice, put it this way, if something that cataclysmic had really been, you know, completely digested and mythologized and passed down mm. in some kind of demonstrable fashion. Well, I'm sure that the people in the past, I'm sure that we're as big a disappointment to the people in the past as they are to, to us in, 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 some, in some regards. But, you know, what, what kind of memories do we have of, uh, you know, earthquakes or, or, or volcanoes of the last 10,000 years? Right, but those are, more, those are more banal. They happen all the time. That's true. I mean, well, that's, that's, that's an event. Oh, the earth is shaking. Yes, yes, the earth shakes. The turtles get upset and the earth shakes. You know, whatever kind of explanation. You know, that, that happens all the time. This, this is truly a, this is a pretty big event. Once in a lifetime. Once in, one, once in a, yeah. So, but that's just an aside. And yeah, I'm I sure- I think that's a very interesting aside. I'm I sure like that. I'm sure symbolologists will find that, you know, hidden in- in in the Rig Veda is some mention of right. every every sacred text has it encoded right exactly within the the text and we just yeah. haven't recognized it until until this time right and uh, we can we can tease it out if we read it hold it up to a mirror and read it read it backwards kind of a thing um, I don't know it, I'm gonna uh, pause it again. Okay. Well, I just like this idea that uh, that we have a date. Twelve thousand eight hundred. Well, we have a we have a date when when things had to uh, had to change and people had to get their had to get their acts together and uh, <clears throat> they had to take these these diffuse skills of hunting and gathering with some with some incipient agriculture and their, in their basic knowledge of, uh, of grains and grasses, emmer, wheat, <clears throat> and had to get very, very serious very, very quickly. Right. Because, because the, basically they have a nuclear winter for a little while right. where the sun doesn't come out. 10%, everything's on fire. 10% of everything on earth is on fire. Right. And it really, I'm sure it concentrates the mind. Quite a, quite a bit. Like, okay, let's let's gavel this meeting to order and figure out what the hell we're doing. Food. Yeah, I mean, really, at one level, it's amazing that they all, that a whole generation of people, a whole generation of these societies, didn't just starve. Right. Maybe they did. Because every well, then, I mean, but somebody, somebody came back. back. 
Well, but we don't, what, what do we know about the, the folks who, who didn't come back? What about the, the societies or the, or the groups or the sites or the clans of the cave bear <clears throat> all, over, all over the place here, here and there who just are like, oh crap, we're done. <laughs> you know, I have no idea what to do now. If I can't, if I can't hunt uh, megafauna, that's it. I'm just, yeah. Well, I want to go back though and talk about the people who did come back. Um, whether it was, you know, two weeks later or three months later or two years later, like what were they thinking? Were they aware, was it their own place that they thought, oh, let's go try resettling our own place or was it a different group of people? Right. That speaks to a, one of the most interesting, I think one of the most interesting parts of this whole plant and animal domestication centralization process and that's the creation of territoriality hmm. and how, right, so who returned? Uh, and again, in the very preliminary articles, it sounds like they returned quickly and they were familiar with the site, the people who returned. Um, and that speaks, then that speaks very strongly to this issue of very quick sense of territoriality and us, them, and, you know, this is right. our identity, we people of this place, uh, and all of that. Right. So yeah, the, the whole return, uh, side of things is is a very interesting question right but going into the into the pre-pottery neolithic the the near east at least is very much fragmented into these different areas right and everybody each area the southern levant the the, the middle euphrates uh, central anatolia they have these very particular styles of how you, this is how we make this arrowhead this is our particular weird symbolism and they get into the whole overt symbolism game very quickly and in a very big way so you know within within a very short period of time comparatively they're building giant towers at jericho and they're building whatever gobekli tepe is with the with right. the, all the carved you know yeah pillars and stuff and wacky animals and um so they're partitioning themselves they're not just easygoing hunter-gatherers who are doing a little have a little house gardening on the side and everybody's happy and getting along maybe and again maybe this event really did heighten and sharpen their sensibilities like oh <laughs> this this terrain that we're inhabiting, this is, this is hostile. We've got to stake our claim and we've got to, we've got to pre-adapt and we've got to really articulate who we are yeah. and where yeah. we are. Right. And this is ours. Right. This, this little area right around here, this, this is ours. This is us. We do things this way. Our people do things this way. We make our arrowheads. You make your arrowheads differently? Whoa. <laughs> Let me see your palm print. Whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. I think we'd, we'd have to look at the site plan to answer this, but um, the, 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 the pre-younger dryas level... Boundary layer. About, no, just the, 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 the yeah, settlement, yeah. the pre-younger dryas settlement at Abu Huraira. Um, are the houses built on very different plans and in very different places from the post-Younger Dryas event? All the, all the later ones are yeah, there rectangular. Is a, right. 
and okay. there is different architecture and there's different there's a different use of materials there's a very famous illustration from the abu Huraira publications i don't know if you guys if you guys remember it but it's this illustration of you know sort of human beings doing their subsistence activities you know layered with the with the people in the epipaleolithic at the bottom and the neolithic at the top and and you know, it sort of summed up the whole process mm. uh, of what happened at Abu Huraira. Um, yeah. Okay, so they changed the shape of their buildings. So they're doing things slightly differently. Once they're learning to farm, they're also building houses that are rectangular. Um, well, because when, you, when you're <clears throat> making stuff and storing stuff, because you're terrified that another comet is gonna hit, right. <laughs> and, and you have a very strong sense of, those people out there who make their arrowheads a little bit differently are, you know, the other. Right. Then you need to store things and it's easier to store things in corners. Yeah, know. but that's not entirely true because we have all sorts of round architectural that's traditions. True. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Right. In Asia and all, all, of that, all of that stuff in northern Mesopotamia. <clears throat> in the whatever it is, the, what is it, the... Uh, during the Halaf period. The Halaf? Yeah, Halaf. Yeah. 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 But there are but there are periods when round is much more in, but round always gives way to rectangular. Rectangular, yeah. yeah. I think I am thinking of maybe Murabit. There's this famous famous site plan of like rectangular, really close together walls. I'm not sure if it's Murabit. Right. And certainly as time goes on, when you go from the PPNA into the PPNB, everybody's rectangular, everybody's all crowded together right. in these multi-level right. kinds of, uh, you know, communities Eventually, on top of each other. Right. Yeah. Eventually um, you get, you know, right, the, the outcome is a Shikli Huyuk and, and uh, Chatel Huyuk. Chatel Huyuk. Right. right. Which isn't going to help you when the, when the next nice comment ends. Nice little illustration of their, the biggest threat in their life. Right. Well, unfortunately, we don't have that illustration for this episode. Well, um, yeah, the pity is that nobody, maybe if we redated some of those European cave paintings to right around now, we could, you know. Right. We could interpret uh, little streaky things as, as the comet breaking up, but that's, that's unfair. That's, that's projection. Backwards. <laughs> it's it's almost historical revisionism, really. And we it's, don't want none of that. No, it's just nonsense. We're gonna wait for November third for any of that. <laughs> it's it's all just it's all just nonsense. Well, but this episode will air um, well well after. Well after. But um, well, <clears throat> and it was also very you know it was quite a juxtaposition just as they run out of megafauna the temperature gets cold. So, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're bereft of all of their mammoth wolves. Right, I have to go back they're to the winter winter. That's true. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's why you got to use your secondary products pretty quick. <laughs> well, but they didn't use the secondary products really quick. Well, no, not really quick. They had to get really cold first. <laughs> right. 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 Until it took thousands of years for anyone to be convinced all right, I'm so cold, I'm so hungry that I'm going to walk up to this animal and actually try and milk it. <laughs> well, and nor did they start walking south. Nor did they, you know, leave <coughs> all these zones. Right. And just say, oh man, this is too much. We have got 
to head towards warmer climes. Right. So, well, that, so that's that actually also, very interesting. And that, that goes along with your territoriality thing also, because this is your right, home and right, you're not yeah. going to leave it. Like I would much rather live in a climate like Florida, but I'm not going to leave New York. So, you know, uh, then again, I can get my food in the supermarket. Speak for, your, speak for yourself. <laughs> That's true. I mean, every time you need broccoli, if you have to grow it, you'd never eat broccoli. Uh, exactly. That's right. Exactly. I mean, eating strawberries in New York in November. That's, uh, I wonder if they, I wonder if they know when the next, when this next kind of an event will happen. Well, I, I hope they give us a warning. Yeah. Yeah. Why doesn't this happen more frequently? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe, maybe it does, and it's just kind of been covered up. <laughs> well, no, but um, we're all alive. I mean, we have these comets. We have Haley's Comet. We have Kahootek. We have all of these comets. None right. of them are, are, are breaking up and showering us with nanodiamonds. But they, a lot of them come close. <laughs> like, don't you, every so often you hear news reports that a comet no, came within, you know, however many miles of, of the solar system. Well, okay, but we have, the, we have the Tunguska event of, what is it, 1908? Right, right. Which, uh, which is either, you know, an alien spacecraft or more likely a comet or a meteorite that's, you right. know. Um, <clears throat> and and they're always tracking meteorites, at least, or meteors. Right, and asteroids. And, and asteroids, and it's usually a situation of, oh, crap, <laughs> there's one we hadn't noticed before. <laughs> and it's like, you know, 50 miles from, uh, from Des Moines. I wonder if our human behavior would be different if we knew, and if astro astronomers could tell us, that periodically we'd have one of these you know, events where we get showered by, by uh, comets that are breaking apart and that, you know, periodically the, the temperature of the surface of the earth would be, mm. you know, oh, well, but, you know, this is, but well, we do have, we did have one event. I think it was 1998 and that's when Bruce Willis led his team to <laughs> the comet and <laughs> He stayed there, but in order to send Ben Affleck back to marry his daughter, is that right? Steve Bush Steve Buscemi was it Steve Buscemi who went insane on the on the shuttle? You know how I feel about big Hollywood blockbusters. <laughs> well, this, I, this this was blockbustery, as I, as I recall. My, but my only point here is that um, culture hasn't neglected this this. Um, theme completely. Culture hasn't, but the question is, have scientists? So I'm looking at this Wikipedia page um, about timeline of approaches within one lunar distance oh. um, of Earth. And this starts in 2001 and goes to 2019. And it gives me a list of discovered later after the event or discovered prior to the event. And um, in 2001, there was one that was discovered later and um in other years they've only been discovered prior to the event um but i have a i don't quite understand why like how many are a year so never mind too many yeah <laughs> we're um, not enough 
Yeah, really 2001 seems to be only one, but others have 32 or 23 a year. So I don't quite understand this. That couldn't be. Well, if, if, if humans had, had enough cultural apparatus <laughs> to, to be able to record or encode such a cataclysmic event into memory, then, then we would have heard about it. Like the Black Sea floods in, during, during the Neolithic. But this just happened so early that literally nobody was thinking and nobody had any way and um, of, of remembering. And, and maybe, maybe the human psyche couldn't really comprehend or maybe they just didn't care. It was like the next year, like, oh, you remember that comet? Right. <laughs> that, hit, that, that, you know, flash fried everything? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Right. Was that last year? Maybe, maybe there were so many, so many environmental aggressions that went unrecorded in any way, shape, or form that we never can even fathom, that this was just a really big one to them. And then they just, so they didn't really record it. But they certainly, I mean, you know, it, they certainly had the capacity. They certainly had the cultural, what did you call it? The cultural... <laughs> The apparatus was that? Yes. Yeah, cultural apparatus. Cultural apparatus. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good one. Huh? The cultural apparatus. I mean, we had you know they're making figurines, they're carving things, they're burying people. They had the cultural apparatus. Right. And now I think now I think there will be some kind of you know some kind of reexamination of all of this stuff to come up with some kind of cultural response that we've missed. Well, I still think it is the flood. I think it's the rains, 40 days, 40 days of rain. It wasn't. <laughs> I, First came the nano diamonds, then came the glass, then came the minerals. Well, but there's no recollection of a, of a, of a forest fire. <laughs> and a flood, right. <laughs> that was global in scope that obscured the sun. You're right. There should be a fire mentioned. There should have been a flood. Well, wait, wait a minute. Maybe I don't want to compare. It's just as big as a flood. (laughs) It's just as seismic as a flood. How about the creation stories? Maybe this is what we're talking about. That's the place that everyone should start looking. Yeah. Because you've got the sun being created and nothingness and then explosions and I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, and uh, enough of the universe being 5,000 years old, the universe is 12,000. 12,000 years old. Yeah, Yeah, really. (laughs) Yeah, but I think you're right that the place to look is, is in the, in the expression that begins at this, at this boundary. Right. That's at, the the, at the end of the of the Epipaleolithic yeah. into the into the Neolithic, and not only here but the equivalent all over the world. Right. right. Well, they, in the in in the Western Hemisphere, they talk about the end of the Clovis culture, which was always one of those big mysterioso things. What happened to the Clovis people? Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So now we know what happened. Right. <laughs> they, they were fried. <laughs> Fried and the <clears throat> fried and deprived. Right, and uh, they were 
and, and thus North America was just awaiting the next, the next shipment from across the straits. Right. Right. Well, didn't the Clovis make it across? Yeah, I think they made it across. I mean, isn't there some evidence that, that there are Clovis points of some sort or another in Central and South America even? Yeah, I think so. On the coasts, I think so. Yeah, it goes back to at least 14, 15,000. Right. So all they made it across before they were all destroyed. Before oh, no, right. And, that's, and this seems to be the reason they were, that they... That they gone. Yeah. Right, but, they, but, but maybe they're not gone. Maybe they're just rethinking also. Right. Well, that's what always happens. I mean, all these different cultures. and lances to, 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 you know, fight off the buffalo and the, and the mammoths. <clears throat> Fred Flintstone style, they're using little little points and lances and things. And well, here's the question. Did the Flintstones live before or after the Young Dryer period, Dryas period? Mm. That's, that's sort of a philosophical question. <laughs> we have to go really. to Kentucky to ask that question. Or Why? South Carolina. Oh. Because <laughs> um, there's that, there's that uh, museum or whatever in Kentucky which has, you know, dinosaurs and humans. Oh, okay. Okay, right, right. Well. Right, so here's, but here's, a new, here's a new piece that just came out on, um, in October of this year, 2020, <clears throat> about a coastal migration theory, um, uh, which provides a formal definition of coastal migration period of upper Paleolithic populations from Asia to coastal regions along the Northwest Pacific Rim between 45,000 to 30,000 years ago. Right. And then 30,000 years ago, they're using mixed maritime and terrestrial adaptations. They've got boats and fish hooks. Right. And, you know, this, these Clovis guys, they're the end point. Yes. They're, they're, not, they're not original. They're just... They're the latest. They're the, the latest, latest of that wave. Right. And they just have to, they just have to get with the program after all the mammoths are, you know, frozen, frozen solid. And as, as did everybody on earth. And as, so that in, in, um, in the Near East, they reacted with, with agriculture. And in, in North America, they didn't do agriculture, but in Central America, they did start there is a trajectory towards agriculture around this time, you know, 10,000, 10,000. I thought there were seven, seven places that pretty much got agriculture all at the same time. And wasn't it? Sleepy, dopey, <laughs> newsy. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a bunch of places. Yeah, but I think it was Central and South and like India and China. Right. Right. But not North, not North America, not, North America, not, America, not right. Europe. Right. right. Because it's still kind of cold and yucky. It's cold, yeah. I guess area. it's even colder in Europe than it was in the Middle East after the comet. Right. Right. Yeah. All right then. Well, it was hot. It was cold. Because you remember, there's fire. And, right. And it's a mixed. It's a, everything is pretty is pretty scrambled. Yeah. I think the last thing I want to look up is the boundary of the, the, the actual physical boundary of the Young Dryas boundary. I want to know how, what parts of the world it encompassed. It's all over. It's global. It's all over. The boundary layer is all over. It's okay. found on four continents. Four okay. continents. In South Carolina, among other places. Right. I, I think it's in Australia, too. 
Right. Okay. Well, and, uh, you know, but Australia didn't have any agriculture. Nope. Actually, the maps I'm and looking at don't put it everywhere. The maps I'm looking at put it all through North America, including Canada, but not only the tip of the, the northern tip of South America and through the entire Middle East, and then um, another piece of it in Australia. How about Africa? Uh, no, wait, no, not Africa, which is interesting. So they didn't have enough cultural memory to go back, to go back to, to where it was warm and- Right, right. Where everything sort of got started. Right, yeah, they'd forgotten about Africa and they didn't think it was an option anymore. Right. Hell, they went back to uh, Tel Abu Guerrero. <laughs> that was much more immediate. That's, that's yeah. right. It, it's right there. And, and, but, you know, the thing that, that puzzles me about all this is, okay, so let's, let's say that Tel Abu Guerrero is, is literally pulverized in, a, in a, an instant. It's turned into a blanket of nanodiamonds and iridium. And, and the people from there are, are obviously shell-shocked right. or pulverized. But the people 25 kilometers away, what are they thinking? How, how do they understand this, this event? Oh, I'll finally be able to get my dad's Manu and Matate. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, but, but what, do they think that the people at Abu Herrera did the people at Morabit think, oh, those people over here, they really had this coming, you know? <laughs> you know yeah, this, who did they blame it on? This well, just serves, serves them right. Yeah. But why don't we remember anything like that? Why wasn't, or, or again, are we just not seeing it pro through the proper lens? The encoding of this, oh, those guys, you know, the gods really gave it to them. Well, there's also, you know, plenty of cosmic um the gods are having a major war and you know all that kind of crap so so they could be thinking of this as a cosmic battle and and then you know mankind is created yeah, but, I, yeah but the the like people that. who wrote down these mythologies in, in egypt and mesopotamia and every place else all they had to do was look around to see you know humans battling they didn't have to, right. and, and then analogize it to to the cosmic, you know, well, no, sphere. They, they didn't actually this, have to bring cosmic debris. They saw this huge explosion in the air, and diamonds are raining down, um, and all their neighbors are dying. <laughs> and uh, so they, they have to say there's something going on up in the heavens, and, you know, the gods are killing each other, and, and the, the, I don't know, blanks are raining down or something. I think you'd have to prove that. Um, not <laughs> in a, it's, it's a kind of weird Joseph Campbell kind of, Joseph Campbell meets Eric Von Donneken kind of uh, exactly. areas. Right. I'll, I'll leave that to somebody um, else to prove. And again, it might, be, it might be an excellent script for the Travel Channel, <laughs> for one of their documentaries about ancient aliens and such but i don't know we well that's of course the next step the next step is to is to talk about how ancient aliens sent this comet in order to 
put human, humanity on the right path of plant and animal domestication in order to jumpstart. It's a Kickstarter yeah. project. Right, right. Because how else were we going to get smartphones? I mean, yeah, if we didn't have enough special. If we were all just, you know, happy, dumb gazelle hunters and uh, mammoth hunters living why don't off... We, why don't we see any huge kill, kill sites of, like, huge herds of gazelle that have been fried? Is it literally... Is it only because they literally got fried off the face of the earth? Well, I think yeah. gazelles are very speedy. Because <laughs> no, they got fried, but then there, there must have been some things left to eat their carcasses. Um, or whatever was left. Yeah, but their bones. Why don't we have these huge kill sites with that date to 12,800 BCE? Because they were exposed, maybe. So they just well, didn't there, last. There, there are big um, epipaleolithic and, and later gazelle and, you know, ungulate kinds of kill sites, these kites and things. They're later, though, aren't they? I think the kites yeah, I thought so. No, they start early. That's <laughs> well, clearly, clearly, we could we could use the help of a real prehistorian. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, we have several here on speed dial. <laughs> I feel like if we start talking about kites, we're going to be talking for another hour. I can't talk for another hour. I think we need to well, give some final doing? some final thoughts. I think I need to reel us in and make us give some final thoughts. I think that the comet should be named after Andrew Moore. That's good. Uh, it's all right with me. Yeah, that's good. Moore's Comet. I like it. Mm. Yeah. Maybe we can get that to catch I'm sure on. Would, uh, I'm sure you would. Yeah. Um, okay. I, think we need, I think we need to comprehensively reevaluate everything at the Younger Dryas boundary for symbology and symbological yes. changes. Um, that could be very exciting. Perhaps, perhaps Dr. Mara Zapp could, <laughs> could weigh in on this. We, uh, we need, we need it's, it's a Dan Brown novel waiting to be written. <laughs> and on that note. Well, frankly, I'm a little overwhelmed and also just a bit worried. But we'd still like to thank Eras Dessel for our theme music, as well as our sponsor, Ewing Oil of Dallas, Texas. And of course, you, the listener. If you'd like to get in touch, click on the links or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134. <laughs>